Um, so without further ado, let's move into the substance of, of this first session. Um, a slight change of gear to the world of music, um, but of course for radio people absolutely essential. It's incredibly, um, it's really fantastic to be able to welcome Chris, Chris Price, who's head of music at BBC Radio One um, and One Extra, uh, who got in just a little bit too late yesterday to join us on the opening panel. Uh, that wasn't his fault at all, it was a transport issue. Um, uh, and of course one of the things that we talked about yesterday was the very complex question of a 90% local music content uh, quota that was imposed here. Um, I, I, uh, it would have been interesting to see whether you had any kind of comments on that. Um, but anyway, um, so great to have you here, welcome and over to you. Thank you, sir. Um, oh. I haven't done anything to earn your applause yet. Um, I'll try my best. Hello. Hello. All right, good, good, thank you. Um, I want to make this an interactive session. I'm a radio guy, we're very needy people. Um, we get very nervous when we think nobody's listening. Um, my name's Chris, I'm head of music at Radio One and One Extra. Just a very, very quick bit about me, um, just to put some context into what you're gonna hear. This is my second time working at Radio One. Uh, I started there as a music programmer in the year 2000, uh, where I worked for six years before leaving to go to MTV and head up their UK music team. Uh, and then after that, I went to a streaming service called Last FM. So I've sort of been orbiting the recorded music industry for about 10 or 15 years now. Um, and then I've sort of come full circle, come back to Radio One. I've been there for uh, about 18 months. Um, so. Radio One, just in case you don't know, is uh, a national youth network in the UK. It's a public service broadcaster, so no adverts. Uh, and it, it, it exists really for two, two very straightforward reasons. One is to bring new, young, diverse audiences to the BBC. And the second reason is to break new music. Um, but rather than sort of bang on about Radio One, let me just play you a very, very quick two-minute video, um, which should give you a flavor of some of the things that we've been up to for the last 18 months or so. It's BBC Radio One. When you're ready, let's go. Welcome to our symphonic live lounge. Take a break, it will be two weeks, not a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's the future for the video game and film industries. With the internet, more and more of us are exploring relationships outside traditional setups. Rogues. What's the fuss? I play a documentary investigating buying drugs online and getting them through the post. The Black Lives Matter brand has gone global. The Royal Marines are cold weather specialists. That's play playground insults. What's happened, guys? I blacked out. What happened? <laughs> ADNCE on Innuendo Bingo. <laughs> this is Secret Busker. BBC Radio One's Greg Atwell. I'm Ali Plum. Radio One and One Extra's movie critic. Could we live without smartphones for a week?
So those, uh, that's some of the things we've been up to over the last 18 months or so. Um, why is it, though, that as an introduction to a radio station, I've just played you a video? Um, well, uh, let's, let's answer that question by asking you guys uh, a question. Who, by a show of hands in the room, um, has used their mobile phone on the toilet? Every, I think that's every single hand in the room. You should be ashamed of yourselves. I hope you washed your hands. Who in the room has texted someone who's in the same house or apartment as them? Exactly. Who's waiting for me to be really boring so you can tweet or t actually don't, don't answer that question? Um, you get my point. Mobile phones dictate our lives now. And... If a bunch of old people in the room are addicted to their phones, and I say that, I include myself in that, imagine what it's like for young people. So look at this graph. I'll try, I'll try not to show you too many graphs today. Take a picture of it, though, so you can tweet it and prove to everybody you're at a really interesting conference. Um, but look at this. This is media consumption in the UK by age group. So the line in pink is media delivered over IP. The line in, red, in yellow sorry, is broadcast on linear platforms. So you can see that young people get about 60%, that's 15 to 24s on the, on the left there, get about 60% of their media over IP, which is mostly on their phones, of course. And look, they're, they're only getting about 15% of their media over linear broadcast. So that is the challenge that we as Radio One, trying to, get, trying to engage with young, diverse audiences. This is the big question that's exercised us the most for the past sort of five to 10 years. Um, and what it's led to is this very sort of simple strategy. Um, for a good five years now, our strategy has been three things. Listen, watch, share. Uh, this is what we want to encourage our listeners to do. And every single piece of content that we produce is approached from these three directions. What's it going to sound like? What's the linear listen going to sound like on FM and DAB? But what's it going to look like on YouTube, on people's mobile phones, or on the BBC iPlayer channel? Um, and how are we going to make it really shareable? And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk uh, about how, you know, radio listening is going down. That's certainly true. Um, by our own experience, if our, if our own experience is anything to go by, um, our hours, at, sorry, our reach is fairly stable. We've got about 10 million listeners on uh, FM and DAB. So that's our listen numbers. Um, but the, the, the number of hours is going, is going down from about 10 hours uh, a week on average, 10, uh, about five years ago, to about six and a half now. So 10 million listeners. We've got about 4 million YouTube subscribers. Um, which makes us the most watched radio station in the world. There's about 100,000 hours of content being watched on Radio One's YouTube channel every single day. Um, and then we've got about 9 million social followers across our various platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is really big for us now. Um, so this is it. That's, that's our strategy. Very straightforward. Um, and what it does, it gives us amazing data that you can't get from the linear listener. Data, for example, like this, when a couple of years ago, Taylor Swift came in and did uh, a kind of carpool karaoke style. By the way, this was actually before carpool karaoke. Uh, I just want to point that out. I'm not saying they copied us. I'm just saying we did it first. Um, but uh, this is Greg James uh, doing, uh, I think it was Bad Blood that they sang along to. I can't remember. Anyway, kind of carpool karaoke. We get amazing data from YouTube. 
data like this, um, broken down into countries. This is actually North Korea. If you look on the bottom right there, you can see there's about 10 or 11 viewers of uh, Radio 1's YouTube content in, uh, in North Korea. We don't know who they are. We can only guess. Um, <laughs> but um, so we get amazing data back from, from video, from social. Um, but I don't want this to be uh, a presentation all about data, because that's really boring. And actually, if you've uh, heard me speaking before or read about my views in the press, you might know that, yes, I think we should be informed by data, but we should be driven by passion. Uh, and actually, I think radio should be driving the data, not following it. Um, so why have I got a picture of this guy? Actually, let's just see if anyone knows. Who, who in the room knows who this Victorian rock and roller is anyone want to hazard a guess? The clue is in the the clue is in the name of my presentation: evolving music discovery. This is Charles Darwin, exactly. Um, I might have photoshopped that uh, the rock and roll hands onto it. Um, so yeah, Charles Darwin, who in 1859, as you know, uh, published his his famous work on the origin of species. Can everyone hear me all right? Yeah. Um, publishes his, uh, his seminal work. Actually, seminal doesn't feel like a big enough word for a, for a book like that. But uh, you know, he, he changed the way that we think about life on Earth uh, for forever, really, um, unless you're a creationist. Um, any creationists in the room? Don't answer that. Um, but why have I got a picture of Charles Darwin on the screen? Well, what I want to try and sort of persuade you of today is that the kind of music discovery that radio should be engaged in uh, in today's market is less like the kind of discovery that uh, Charles Darwin was, in, was into uh, and more like the kind of discovery that these two guys are into. Everyone know David Attenborough? A very famous uh, naturalist, broadcaster, and frankly, national treasure in the UK. Americans in the room will remember Carl Sagan. Um, Obviously, in very different fields, David Attenborough is more interested in uh, meerkats and uh, puffer fish. Um, Carl Sagan was more into sort of black holes and uh, dark matter and that kind of thing. But what they have in common is that they are both science communicators. They're, very, they're amazing popularizers of complex ideas. And what they do is, through their incredible expertise and their authority and their passion and their storytelling, they introduce people to stuff that they wouldn't necessarily have known about. They put it into context. And that's the kind of um, music discovery that we should be involved in as radio broadcasters. Why do I say that? What's changed over the last few years? Well, two main things have changed. Um, on air, on sale is now a part of our lives. I actually don't know if this is the case here in South Africa, but on air, on sale, for those that don't know what that is, is a new sort of label release strategy by which music is made available to streaming services and download stores at the same time that it's serviced to radio stations. So rewind five years ago, radio was playing music for the most part that wasn't released yet. So we enjoyed this sort of six-week window of exclusivity that we don't anymore. All, all music is everywhere all of the time, a little bit like nature. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that streaming is now the sort of the dominant mode of consumption in the UK and the US. Um, so it just means that all music is available all of the time. So this is the analogy that I want to sort of draw with 
with David Attenborough and Carl Sagan. All music is available all, everywhere, all of the time, just like nature. So we've moved away from this sort of Darwinian mode of discovery, where you're sort of re revealing things for the first time, but more into the sort of Attenbrovian, is that a word? I don't know. Um, it is now, you know, just lifting rocks or shining a magnifying uh, glass on, on things that people maybe hadn't noticed and, and just using that, that amazing, compelling storytelling ability, that amazing facility that they have for sort of conveying the, the wonder of the natural world to, uh, and bringing it to, to large numbers of people. Now, streaming has been an amazing news story for the music industry, which for all of my career in music has been in decline. Um, anyone who read the Global Music Report published earlier this year by the IFPI, which is the sort of global trade body for the recorded music industry, will know that global revenue in the recorded music industry is up for the second year in a row, uh, and that that's been driven largely by streaming, which is up a massive 60%. So nobody is happier about that than me. I started my career working for a record label, uh, and finally, the music industry is growing again. However, I confess I do feel a little bit annoyed when I see headlines like this, how streaming saved the music industry. Or this one in The Guardian, how streaming saved music, global industry revenues hit 12 billion pounds. Or this one in The Telegraph, why streaming is the savior of the music industry. Uh, it's all great, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I feel a little bit like Tonto uh, to, uh, to the Lone Ranger in this, in this relationship. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it is a relationship. It's a really, really strong relationship between radio and music. Neither can exist without the other. Um, but if, if the Lone Ranger is streaming out there, fighting crime and taking all the glory, um, radio is Tonto, who's been there all along, in the background with his many years of expertise. In fact, Arguably, the Lone Ranger wouldn't even exist without Tonto, because it was Tonto that sort of brought him back to life after his, uh, his band of, out, of crime fighters were ravaged by Cavendish. So radio has been there in the background, sending people to streaming services day in, day out, in their millions every day for the last, well, almost 100 years in the case of uh, the BBC. So just to sort of... Oh, sorry. straight this point, um, let's do another quick guessing game. Who in the room knows who either of these two gentlemen are? Show of hands, anyone? Ernest, was that you? Were you or are you just scratching your nose? <laughs> all right. Um, all right, the guy on the left, actually, I'll give you a clue. They're both called Mike. The guy on the left is called Mike Posner. Does that name ring a bell? Yes, okay. The guy on the right, he's a bit harder. His name's Mike Perry. So you, you know who Mike Posner is, that's really interesting. So you probably know this song, I Took a Pill in Ibiza, uh, which, big hit in the US, it went as far as number four in the US Billboard chart, peaked at number one in the UK, spent about 50 weeks nearly on the, on the chart in the UK. Absolutely massive hit. Ernest, can I just get you to take the volume down a tiny, tiny bit? Thank you. Um, Mike Perry, on the other hand, 
His big hit was this one, The Ocean. I say big hit, it wasn't really. Um, it stalled at number 11 on the dance and electronic chart in, in, uh, in the US. In the UK, it made it as far as number 39 in the official chart, lasting only 17 weeks on the chart. What's the difference between Mike Posner and Mike Perry? Posner was on the radio, Perry wasn't. So I raise this just to make the point that radio is still the difference between having a hit and not having one. This is what um, Ted Cockle means. Ted Cockle uh, is the president of Virgin EMI in the UK, running the, he's the, which is the biggest label in the UK. So this is what he means when he says, we have to bow down to radio. It magnifies the discovery process. So this is back to that point about David Attenborough lifting rocks and shining magnifying glasses on things and revealing, and revealing music to people that perhaps they didn't know existed. Um, so what I want to do is just sort of drill down into the numbers a bit here. This is the science bit, bear with me. You're going to see two more graphs, and then I promise that's the, the last graph. This is your last opportunity to take a picture of a graph. Um, so, I've got two case studies. One is the, probably the biggest, in fact, he is the biggest recording artist in the world at the moment, Drake. Um, of course, you know this song, One Dance. And then I've got another example of, a, of a, more of a sort of emerging artist in the UK called Christine and the Queens. We'll come to that in a second. The eagle-eyed among you will notice that I've flipped this image of Drake horizontally. The reason why I've done that will become clear in a minute. So what I want to do is just have a look at the relationship between radio impacts and streams. Um, so you, what you're going to see here is weekly radio impressions. Actually, who can rate this? This uh, slide was originally made for an American, art, uh, American audience. They call it radio impressions. We call them impacts in the UK. So everyone knows what that is, though, right? Cool. All right, so what I want to do is just... Let's have a look at streams, first of all. So what you're looking at is the number of streams every week for one dance over about the first 10 months of its life in the UK from April last year to December. So you can see that when this came out, and this track came out, it peaked at about, what's that? 10 million streams a week in the UK. Absolutely massive number. Um, making nearly 150 million streams over the course of last year. Huge, huge number of hits. Let me just overlay radio impacts on top of that now. So you can see, First of all, you can see the very obvious causal relationship between the amount of radio play that something gets and the number of streams that it receives. Um, and you can see that at its peak, One Dance was receiving about 10 times as many radio impacts as it was streams, um, totaling more than a billion UK radio impacts in the UK last year. Um, so what better way to, uh, to demonstrate the robustness of radio impacts than having Drake sort of nonchalantly leaning on them there and uh, being, being prevented from falling into a busy street. Um, but if just if we needed a reminder of the colossal hit-making power of radio, then that mountain of radio impacts that you can see there towering over the subtricular streams along the bottom would be it. So that's, that's Drake. Let's have a look now at Christine and the Queens. Everyone heard of Christine and the Queens? Yeah. So Christine the Queens is a French artist who we started developing on Radio 1 at the beginning of last year. Um, so this is more of a sort of a developing story. Um, but we'll do the same thing. 
Let's overlay radio impacts and streams on the same graph. We'll have a look at radio impacts first. Now, what you're looking at here is a slightly shorter, quite a lot shorter window. We're now just looking at two months. Um, and you're looking at daily radio impacts now versus streams. So let's have a look at the radio impacts first. So you can see at the beginning of June last year, radio impacts pretty well zero. We hadn't played this song yet. We'd given it a little bit of overnight play on our specialist shows. Hugh Stevens on Radio 1 was a very, very early vocal champion of Christina the Queen's. And then you can see it as you know, gradually growing over the course of that two-month period. Now, that blue line that you can see there is all radio impacts in the UK. The red line is BBC radio impacts. So you can see that for the most part, the BBC airplay is most of the story for this song, uh, certainly for the first half of its life. And then about at the beginning of July, you can start to see commercial radio following, jumping on board and just growing the radio impacts. All right, let's have a look at streams. So just, you can see it's growing almost imperceptibly. It is growing from pretty well nothing in June to probably about 200,000 streams a day, which is a really, really good number, um, dragged up by, by that radio airplay. And what, what I want to do now is just sort of overlay some of the Radio 1 activity so you can see exactly what's going on here. So Annie Mack, who you'll, you might know as our sort of the breakfast show of our specialist schedule, she's on every day from 7 till 9 in the evening. She was the first person to really give Christine and the Queens any degree of support. She made it her tune of the week. So you can see that bump there at the end of June. Following and off the back of that, it, the track actually enters the chart at number 53. After that, the track is made track of the day on Radio 1. So it receives five plays across, um, across Radio 1. So you can see that spike. And then the following week, we added it to the playlist. It goes on the Radio 1 C list. The week after that, we add it to the B list. The week after that, Annie Mack has her in session and so on. Losing my mic again. Sorry about this, folks. Can you hear me all right? Good. Uh, finally, it goes on the Radio 1 A list and it enters the chart at number, what was that, 20? Um, so it's a really, really compelling story, I think, a really powerful story of how radio can really develop an artist and you know, add value to those projects. All right, so how do we do this? Um, what we do is we, we've started to think about our audience in terms of stumblers and seekers. And just to sort of put some context onto this, I want to sort of give you a bit of a brief history lesson of how Radio 1 has historically thought about its audience. So when I left Radio 1 in 2006, um, the main model for thinking about Radio 1's audience was called the cone. And what we, it was just a way of sort of conceptualizing our, the size and shape of our audience. So if you imagine a cone sort of lying on its side with the tip of the cone here and the, the fat end of the cone here, what we did is we sort of split this up into three main areas that we called scenesters, restless, and contented listeners. Scenesters, very small number, but very engaged, highly passionate music discoverers who were scouring the blogs, going to gigs every night of the week, really, really, you know, the mavens, if you want to call them that. In the middle, we had restless listeners, as we called them, who were less engaged, but still very interested in discovering new music. They were probably listening to Joe Wiley on the morning show and discovering new artists through listening to the live lounge and so forth. And then at the fat end of the cone, you had what we called contented listeners, more sort of breakfast show listeners, 
who just sort of know what they like and they like what they know. They may buy you know, one or two albums a year, um, maybe go to a big gig, might go and see Adele. Um, but, you know, very, very large numbers of, uh, sort of breakfast show type listeners. These days we think about them in terms of stumblers and seekers. And the reason for that is that we're now a global brand. You know, we're, we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, we're on um, all of those social platforms that I mentioned earlier on. Of course, we have many, many listeners over IP uh, to, the to the linear broadcast as well. Um, so we have to think about them in a different way. Stumblers and seekers. You remember when Naomi Campbell stumbled on the catwalk that time? That's how to remember that. Um, Harry Potter fans in, in the room will know that the position that Harry Potter plays in Quidditch is seeker. All right. What do we mean by this? Well, when we make that content, when we make that Greg James video with Taylor Swift, we know that people are going to be stumbling across this in all corners of the internet. Maybe, I don't know, Lucy in... Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who's just a massive Taylor Swift fan, is stumbling across this content. She's got no idea what Radio 1 is. She's never heard of Radio 1 before. So we're, we're suddenly reaching people in all sorts of new ways that we never could. What we want to do is try and turn Lucy into a seeker of our content. How do we encourage her to come back to Radio 1? Um, now, of course, Stumblers, um, in just in terms of the, when we're thinking about the linear lesson now, stumblers are much more likely to be daytime listeners. They're sort of, they're, as I say, that word contented. They're, they, they know what they like. They like what they know. They're not that passionate about music discovery. It just, it's just something that happens in the background for them. Seekers are much more likely to be specialist listeners. They're much more li likely to be listening overnight. Um, and they're very, very passionate about discovering music. And of course, in terms of numbers, there are vastly more stumblers than there are seekers. And what we're trying to do is, when we think about listeners, we're trying to move them across this spectrum, trying to turn them from stumblers into seekers. When we think about artists, we're trying to move them in the opposite direction. The role that we play in trying to develop Christine and the Queens to become, hopefully, a Drake in, in, at some point in the future. We're moving artists in the opposite way. We're trying to take those small existing fan bases little fires and fan the flames and introduce them to these much, much larger numbers of stumblers. So this idea of stumblers and seekers is, is very, very important to us now and it's, it's part of the sort of lingua, lingua franca of, of the Radio 1 conversation. So all of the slides that you're going to see now from between now and the end of my presentation are kind of the greatest hits of what we've been up to over the last 18 months or so since I've been head of music. Um, all informed by this idea of stumblers and seekers. So listening parties are a new thing where we, we play brand new albums front to back on the radio. Uh, it's quite an unusual thing for radio to do. Um, we've done that, as you can see, there's a few examples here. We've done listening parties with Drake, Frank Ocean, Ed Sheeran. Actually, Ed Sheeran was our first, daytime ever, first ever daytime listening party. So up until about, well, when, when did Ed Sheeran come out? It was February or March of this year, wasn't it, the new album? Up to that point, all of our listening parties had been in the evening. Beyonce Lemonade was on Annie Mac. Um, but we took, a, we took a risk with, with Ed and played the entire album front to back on Daytime Radio 1 at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and if you want to see how successful these are, whether these listening parties work, what you're looking at on the left there are the on-demand listening figures for Annie Mac's show during the week before and the week after the Lemonade listening party. So you can see her 
her numbers ticking on, are ticking along at about 35, 40,000 on-demand requests a day for her show. And then we, play the, we do the Lemonade listening party, which, remember, was exclusive to Tidal at that point. Um, and it jumps up to nearly 400,000 requests. So what you're looking at there are seekers, Animax everyday listeners, seeking her out. They're fans of Animax. When we do the Lemonade listening party, those are stumblers. Those are fans of Beyonce who might be listening to Radio 1 for the first time. So we've got to try and encourage them to come back. So make radio for, for stumblers, not necessarily for seekers. Uh, New Music Friday is something else we started um, probably about last, I guess, March, April time. Um, first one we did was with Calvin Harris. He played me his new single with Rihanna on it, this one. I loved it so much that I thought, well, let's, how do we make a, a real splash around the launch of this single? Let's take the Radio 1 Breakfast Show to LA and have Calvin Harris introduce this song to us. Let's have him press play on this song for the first time on any radio station anywhere in the world from the studio where it was recorded. So that's Nick Grimshaw hanging out with, um, with Calvin Harris in LA. Um, when Ed Sheeran launched his new album, he decided to do it with Radio 1. He came in and co-hosted the Radio 1 Breakfast Show. Um, this is Harry Styles launching his first record as a solo artist. So New Music Friday has become a really, really big thing for us. And every single Friday, we, we take all of the new, new releases that day and we feature them. Um, what's next? Oh, sorry, Live Lounge Month. Has everyone heard of the Live Lounge? It's probably, arguably, the, the most famous live music brand in the world really now. Certainly any brand connected to a, a sort of media property. Um, so you probably know that artists come into the live lounge, they play two songs, they, they play a stripped-back version of their current single, and then they do a sort of unique and unexpected interpretation of another contemporary hit song. Um, live lounge month sort of does what it says on the tin. It, every single day during the month of September, we have a live lounge. Um, and last year, we decided to sort of supersize it. This is about taking our big, one of our biggest brands and making it even bigger. So we took it to LA, where we kicked off Live Lounge Month from Justin Bieber's lounge. Um, we ended the month at Blackpool Tower Ballroom with the 1975 and the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, book ended with those two quite sort of high-impact events. And through the month, we had everyone from Craig David to Emily Sande. There's Christine and the Queens there in the middle. So Live Lounge Month is really about taking your biggest brand and making it even bigger. How do you make more noise? Just take your biggest property and make it, make it even bigger. The specialist chart is sort of the opposite of that. It's about making things smaller and more easily digestible. Um, I've written phone first up on that slide because the specialist chart, um, which is essentially a top 10 of all of the, the music being played by our specialist presenters between seven in the evening and four in the morning. And it's really just about sort of capturing and quantifying that, that passion from all of our specialist presenters and, and, trying to, and then using that as a, as a resource to help bridge between our nighttime and daytime output. So we'll use the specialist chart to develop songs from, from nighttime into daytime. Um, and we call it Phone First because this is uh, one of about... 15 new program ideas that we have, which are all about trying to capture young people on their phones. Um, because we know that young people don't want to wait for the scheduler of some radio station or TV channel to tell them when they can wa watch things. They want to watch things now, and they want them on their phone. Or they want to listen to things now on their phone. So we, we started to um, make programs that are, um, uh, 
specifically made for that. So very short, easily digestible, one hour at most, available on the iPlayer radio app. Um, Tune of the Week is something that I brought back um, at the end of last year. Um, this is sort of radio basics, this kind of stuff. It's not exactly um, the most forward-thinking thing we've ever done because um, Tune of the Week is where well, you probably all do it. But when I started back at Radio 1, we had something called Track of the Day, which was a Radio 1 track of the day, which was selected by the music team, and it was a way of developing things, brand new songs, and just sort of showcasing them to our audience, and then possibly putting them on the playlist. Um, well, our competition these days isn't, I mean, we still compete with Capital and Kiss, of course, but more and more these days we're competing with Spotify and Apple and Amazon and all those other tech companies. So what we need to do in order to uh, set ourselves apart from that competition is really sort of supersize the things that make us unique, which is presenters, the passion of Greg James. When he picks the Amazons to be his record of the week, um, he needs to play that five times across the course of a week to really give that song a, a decent run. And it's the fact of him, that him personally selecting and giving it that sell uh, that really helps give that, uh, that band a, a, a leg up. And of course, they remember that. They remember, they're going to be, they're going to remember, in fact, you can see this is, you know, tweets where Dua Lipa, the Amazons, uh, who's that one? Can't see. I think it's Louis Berry. Um, you know, they're, tw they're tweeting about this. They're saying, we've been selected by Radio 1 as, as Tune of the Week. Um, so here we are, coming to the end now. So just continuing the theme of uh, men with beards. Uh, I won't ask you to guess who this is, because I don't think you're going to know. Uh, this is Kevin Kelly, uh, who he's, well, he's, sort of, he's, he's usually referred to as a sort of technology philosopher these days. He used to be the editor of Wired. He's just written an amazing book called The In Inevitable. And he wrote an article nearly 10 years now called Better Than Free. Uh, a very, very sort of seminal tech piece. And the, the main thrust of this article was that the internet is like a giant copying machine. So whatever you do on the internet, you're basically making duplicates. So whether you send an email, download a song, tweet something, everything that you do on the internet is essentially making copies. Um, so what happens when you make infinite copies of things? If you create infinite abundance of things, the value of those things goes down. That's one of the main reasons why music, which is just free, free available everywhere, has, has lost its value to some extent. It's, it's the reason why the recorded music has been in decline for the best part of 20 years. And then the sort of unintended side effect of this is that the things that can't be copied go up in value. So things like trust, passion, expertise, context, connection, all of these things are very, very hard to copy. And of course, these are all the things that David Attenborough and Carl Sagan and Greg James and Nick Grimshaw and Annie Mack and John Peel embody. These are the things that when you open the mic on your radio station, these are the things that should come pouring out of your speakers. It's back to this point I made earlier on about music discovery being much more kind of a David Attenborough thing rather than a Darwinian thing. Um, you know, and we've got the ghost of John Peel wafting through the corridors of Radio 1. He inspires us every single day to make sure that we embody these values. Um, so I just really want to encourage you as, as broadcasters and broadcasters of music radio to remember these things. Um, 
because these are, these are absolutely central to what we do. They should be absolutely central to what you do. Hopefully that's given you some insight into how we do things at Radio 1. I hope you can apply it to your radio station. Thank you very much. technical stuff takes us straight back to intangibles, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. Um, it does. We've got a few minutes for questions and points. Um, any hands? Very. I'm sure there must be. I know it's early in the morning. Either you're all very shy or I've just said everything you need to know. Oh, there's some hands going up at the back. Okay. All right. Can we yes. get a microphone down there? Do you need a mic? No. Go I, for it. I, I don't think you do. I Okay. Um, if you think about the specialist schedule versus the daytime schedule, which is essentially, you know, after from 7 p.m. until 4 a.m., the the choices are pretty much 100% the presenter and their production team. So it's sort of a joint effort. So everyone from Animac uh, onwards, they, they are choosing their own music. Um, between 4 a.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, is programmed by my music team for the most part, but there are pockets of um, choices that we give to our presenters. So I mentioned Tune of the Week. Um, there's a handful of other free plays that aren't sort of signposted in that way. Um, but yeah, for, you know, for the most part, that it's, it's programmed by my team and you know we sit and have our playlist um, meeting every Tuesday afternoon which is sort of the, the start and the end of everything we do. Okay there was a hand right at the back there. Go on. Speak up for the rest of the... Yeah, um, so you're asking really how we identify what's going to be a hit and what's not. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, we rely very much on um, the passion and expertise of our specialist presenters. So I mentioned the specialist chart. Um, it's really, really important. You know, I said earlier on, passion is what, what drives us, right? So yes, we look at things like Shazam. YouTube streams, Spotify, all of, that, all of that data. We've got a wealth of data, and we'd be fools to ignore it. Um, but as I say, my belief is that radio should be driving the data, not following it. So um, the passion of our specialist presenters is probably the number one thing. When we're sitting in our playlist meeting, uh, the number of plays that a song has already had on Radio 1 is a stronger indicator of the suitability of that song for Radio 1's playlist than probably any other piece of data that we could look at. Um, what else do we look at? I mean, gut instinct, ears, um, you know, we've been doing it a long time. The playlist team consists of 10 people for, pulled from all different areas of, of Radio 1's output. We have five producers and five members of the music team who all have expertise in different areas. So. Ryan Newman, for example, who runs uh, music policy for One Extra, is there fighting the corner for kind of urban music, whereas Jacob, who's representing Animax show, is kind of is fighting fighting that corner. Um, but yeah, you know, data points like all you know all those platforms that I mentioned, they're, they're useful, but they're they're definitely not a sort of starting point. Okay, there's a hand here. Yeah. 
What's a specialist presenter? Um, so a specialist presenter is... Um, how would I describe a specialist presenter? So daytime presenters tend to be more kind of personality jocks, if you like. So whether you're Nicholas Grimshaw or Greg James, you've been employed because of your, your personality first, uh, rather than, say, your expertise in a particular music genre. Specialist presenters are, are very much that latter category. Annie Mac, Benji B, Target, Semtex, Hugh Stevens have a very specific expertise in a, in a particular area, whether it's hip-hop, grime, guitar music, uh, chill out, whatever it might be. Um, so we, we refer to specialist presenters as that, and then we sort of quantify it, as I say, with a specialist chart. Okay, space for one or two more. There's a hand there. Anyone else? In the last round, going, going, gone. Okay, we've got it. <laughs> Okay, um, it's rarely a show of hands, although sometimes it does come to that. Um, we our playlist meeting. We tend to listen to about uh, probably a maximum of about 25 songs. So you're whittling it down to you know from hundreds of records that potentially could go into the meeting. Um, so before you even get into the room, there's a certain amount of whittling that that goes on. Um, I'll play in the meeting. I play usually about two, two and a half minutes of each song. Um, and then we go around the room and it's a discussion. So I'm, you know, if it's a, if it's a grime song, I'm going to make sure I get an opinion from my expert on one extra. I'm going to make sure I get an opinion from uh, the producer of um, Logan Sama's show, for example. Um, just to, you know, it's their expertise that will tell us whether, you know, Wizkid is ahead of Jay Huss in, in the race for, for that, in that particular lane. Um, so I'm then kind of reading the room, really. Um, I just take the consensus in the room, and the very, very rarely is consensus. It's quite a fiery meet meeting, as you can imagine. Um, so when we get to the end of the meeting, let's say we've got seven spaces on the playlist, usually six of them I, we filled up just based on discussion. Very occasionally we get to the end and we've got three or four records vying for that, last, that seventh space. And if that happens, I might actually put it to a vote. But I try to avoid it if I can. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Um, there's obviously a lot more discussion to be had. Um, there will be opportunities over, over tea times and at other moments to engage Chris some more. Sure. Yeah. Look forward much. to it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been really great. It's for me. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, so um, I'm just going to move us along. We've got... Uh